Hey, you like cars? Well, so do I. Take a seat real quick. You're listening to Car Quicks. again episode six got a couple interesting things to talk about something that i've had well it has been on my mind that long i make it sound like it's been on my mind for a while but this is kind of something i thought about to talk on this episode and it's pretty interesting hopefully everybody's doing well doing the best that they can I know the the news is the news is a wild place right now. You got folks thinking folks is derailing trains and smoke clouds. It's a wild time out there. That's why I do this in order to bring some type of escape from the foolery. So we ain't gonna talk about none of that. We are here to talk about cars. Welcome to another episode. Your host Cameron. Car Quicks, episode six. And what are we here to talk about? What are we going to discuss today? When it comes to cars, if you read a lot of car magazines, like I do, or if you've read them before, there's a, there was a lot more car magazines back in the day. Right now, we kind of have the big, the heavy hitters are still around, the road and track, the motor trend, the car and driver. Those are all around, so... It's, it's good to see them, but there, I mean, back in the day, there was a ton. And if you were into the import scene with Import Tuner, I think D-Sport Magazine might still be around, but Sport Compact Car, Super Street is still around. There was Modified Magazine. That was one of the best ones, honestly. Modified Magazine, boy. The quality of the paper, the shots they had on the cover. I mean, not that Super Street wasn't one of the best ones and still is, but Modified was like the one for me. Zero to 60 magazine. If we've read all of the, if you've grew up reading them, you bought them at Barnes and Noble. If you were the kid like me sitting down the floor with a pile of car magazines around you, I still do it to this day as a grown man. If I go into Barnes and Noble, I'm in the magazine section. I find the car magazines. I'm ripping them joints open. One of the things that you always would see or you would always see as a test are track times. And if you look at the title of this episode, I titled it Lightning Lap. Do we, hold up, I'm about to say the title and I clearly don't remember what I wrote down. It was Lightning Lap, Do We Need Track Times? And for the track people, obviously, they're going to hear this and say, I'm, I'm tapping out, not listening to this episode, I'm gone. He already started off talking nuts. The reason why I, was, I had the idea to speak about this is just my own opinion. Like I always say, these sometimes these takes are hot, sometimes they're cold. It's always with love. I'm just talking about something that I've noticed and a couple things that I just realized may not matter. So... A couple weeks ago, Car and Driver, was it Car and Driver? I believe it's Car and Driver. They do a yearly lightning lap. 
meaning they get some of the best cars that you can buy for sports cars, variety of categories. It doesn't matter if it's $100,000, if it's $30,000, if it is, you know, it's all included inside of the conversation. And so this year, it was another, you know, lightning lap. We get all the hot cars that are around, the Civic Type R's, the GR Corolla, shout out to the GR Corolla gang. We have the Corvette Z06, Porsche GT3. Um, I don't know if they had RS here, but they had a GT4 RS. They had Lamborghinis, Mercedes, Supras, Cadillac, CTSV, Black Wings, Subaru WRX, Audi RS3, BMW M240i, X Drive. Those are those are really nice. Uh, the GR Corolla Marizo Edition. They even threw a minivan in there. It's kind of like an outlier. Um, 2022 Hyundai Elantra N. That's a sleeper of a car. One probably have an episode to talk kind of more about what Hyundai is trying to do. And you know they do the they do the full lap. They're at VIR, probably one of the best tracks to be on. I've never driven on it, nor have I ever been to the track. I've read about it. I've seen videos on it, and I've seen how much people praise the track. So I figure it's what they say. It sounds like a very good, fun place to drive. But the thing that I always realize when it comes to these track times is something that I saw as an owner of a GR Corolla and what it kind of does to the conversations that I see that are happening. And this is just across the board. See, track times, are, are it's the numbers, right? Everybody wants to see who has the lowest number. If you watch Top Gear like I did, you know that they had the lap time for the little track they did at the airstrip. Now, that was... To me, it's a little different because while it was a test and it was on a little bit of a test track, it kind of made sense on the TV show because it was kind of like a way to show all the cars that they have been driving, like, oh, who's kind of like king of the hill, so to speak. Not that a lightning lap doesn't show that as well. In the categories that they do, it separates everything because some cars can win or be chosen as like a winner of the overall categories of the test because it achieves something greater than the sum of its parts so an elantra n could win overall because of what it delivered even though there's a lamborghini huracan performante you know obliterating it on the track and the straightaways but ultimately you're talking about the sum of its parts but what i was really speaking to what i'm trying to articulate is how much do we does it really matter about these lap times i'm gonna give you an example right so I'm going to use, listen, heads up. I only have a GR Corolla. So many times you're going to hear me repeat about this car amongst all these episodes. It's going to be episode 100, and I'm going to be talking about it. Maybe by then I'll have some modified parts on it. But either way, it's going to be coming up. So stick, stick with me here. When the GR Corolla came out, Lap times are one of the things they talked about because of them testing it at the track. And obviously, at this lightning lap, they had the highest trim version of the GR Corolla, which is the Marizo one, which doesn't have rear seats or rear speakers, wiper, stickier tires, lighter wheels, so on and so forth. And when people see the lap times against its direct competitor, which would be like a Civic Type R, Elantra N, um, GTI, Golf R, they didn't, I don't know if they had those there at this one. But when people see those lap times, you go on the forums, you go talk to people, and 
they're asking themselves whether they're still interested or they'll say something like the car is a disappointment. It, it underperformed. It, it, it was down one second to the Civic Type R on the same track. It's, it's underperforming. I don't know why Toyota would have built this like this. And you can do the same thing for any car, right? Almost everybody gets caught up into what the numbers say. I can do the same thing. You see zero to 60 quarter mile times. It may not be as much now because electric cars came out and started making the zero to 60 time look ridiculous because they're like two seconds, 2.4, 2.5. That was absurd levels 10 years ago. You needed to have a Bugatti, some insane hypercar in order to even crack those numbers. Or you basically had a full on drag build or something that lived on the drag strip in order to achieve those numbers. But now we got people at Whole Foods leaving the parking lot ludicrous mode. So things have changed when it comes to the zero to 60 and quarter mile times because cars have increasingly gotten much faster. So there are street cars pulling down nine seconds and under and with full interiors. So the game has changed when it comes to the numbers. And so the same thing to me should hold true for like lap times. When I see people look at a lap time and then they doubt what the car can do, I'm just confused because I'm like, okay, what variable are you using? Are you going to track this car at its only? Like you're going to buy this car and it lives on the track. Because then I'm going to ask, well, if it lost by a second, is it a difference between better tires? Is it a driver situation? Is it... Maybe some tracks just perform better. Is it a power issue? What I'm trying to say is people that race on the track consistently for real are going to do whatever they can and make the car faster. Like Time Attack. I've been to the Super Lap Battle multiple years. It's a variety of cars there. Somebody can have an Ultima doing wild numbers. It was never designed to do the numbers it's doing, but I have now modified this thing in order to perform at a much, much higher level. And so when you see a lap time, especially in a car magazine, when I see regular civilians, non-race car driver people questioning whether the car is up to par because it's down one second on a track that They've never driven, or maybe they have driven. I haven't driven it, but maybe they have. And then the car you're going to buy will live its life on the street, commuting to work or going out on a Sunday morning cruise or Saturday night cruise, or maybe it's just for pleasure on the weekend, going to get groceries, picking the kids up. And I'm like, 90% of this car's life is going to live in regular, everyday, mundane task, what you're going to do is get the quick little off-ramp, on-ramp, blast, quick U-turn, catching a couple corners, the back roads. I'm in the same boat. I commute with the GR Corolla. Most of the time, the little fun you get is like on off-ramps, the U-turns they have out here, going on big sweepers that say 45 miles an hour. You're taking it at 70. It feels good. Some of the back roads. I'm not on the track. And may I go? I might go on the track. I might do like a quick little high-performance education day. But realistically, if somebody says, oh, you're going to be coming back to the track often, I'm going to look at them and say, nah, this is a street car. I ain't got the money nor do I have the 
ability to say, I'm going to track this car as much as I possibly can. Because ultimately, if my goal was to make a track monster or a track car, I wouldn't have bought a brand new car. I mean, for what? Why do I need JBL audio system? Why do I need nice interior? I mean, none of that matters. I can go get a 350Z, strip out the interior, get an engine that runs well, and start getting to learn how to drive the car at its limit and then work on suspension, aero, and things like that. I don't need any of these creature comforts if we're talking about track and lap times or track times. And that's where it's just interesting to see. Not that car and driver is wrong for doing something like a lightning lap. It's probably the best time for them because you get to drive all these cars at their limit. I only question the general public that sees these numbers and then starts having online debates about, yeah, I don't really I don't really know if I'm feeling a Z06. You know, I saw the numbers. I mean, it should have done better. Are you buying a car? Are you going to get a Z06? I highly doubt the Z06 owners are looking over their shoulder like, oh, man, I, I really hope I don't see a GT3 because they, they beat me by one point two seconds on the Nürburgring I gotta I gotta wash my back we're talking about race car drivers I'm not a race car driver so if I get on the track with a car that ran a, under sub seven second seven minute Nürburgring lap time I'm running 15 minutes because I don't know what I'm doing and most of the people that are driving on the street what we know it's very limited. It's not track level. The people that know track level are already out there doing what they do best. That's their world. They live in it. But to look at a car and say, I don't know if uh, it's it's worthy anymore. I saw the lab times. I'm just not, I don't know. I don't know if it's really worth the money anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You mean to tell me, your sole decision on this car was built around the idea that it was going to beat a counterpart on a track. And every track is different. Every car performs different on certain tracks, lend themselves to be better suited for certain cars. The same, it, was it the same driver or the tires, the temperature? It's all these variables. And why would that matter with what you're buying? If your main point is to say, I need the fastest car around the track that, car and driver used for the lightning lap, then you're going to go to that article, see what car was, and then buy that one. But why would you be looking at something that costs substantially less than the fastest car they had that day? That doesn't make any sense. At least not to me. I see that, and I always wonder, are we getting caught up in pride and the bragging rights? Like, oh, man, my car is faster than yours on the track, and we're both sitting in the parking lot for a restaurant as we got our hoods open, talking about an intake we bought. Like, look, none of us are going to get that lap time. Only thing that we're going to do is get a quick couple runs on the highway, maybe some backcountry roads if you live near the tail of the dragon or we all in, there in Japan on the toge. That's what we're going to do. And nobody's clocking the time. We're just going to have a good time and have fun. And that's what we should get back to. That's why I say, is it necessary to keep posting about track times? It's like... We need to get to having a test that talks about what it's like to live with. Now, I know I say that, and you're probably thinking, hey, yo, what do you think a road test is? Huh? I don't know. The road test is to cover that. 
But I want them to run a test where they figure out a way to do the same thing they do for Lightning Lap, but in spirited driving on the back roads with the same cars. Now, I've seen them do this in some European magazines like Car or Evo. I've seen them do this with a set of cars. They take basically a road trip. They take all the cars and say, we're going to go on a thousand mile road trip and we're going to find out who performs how on these back roads, these good driving roads, everyday livability. And I wish they would get back to that. I don't know if maybe, maybe, hey, maybe I missed an episode or I missed a magazine edition or issue where they did do this because I know they do a lot of the scenic drives that you can buy into and follow them on a route similar to like how some podcasts listen to, they set this up. But my thing is, magazines should kind of lean more towards that. That way we can get into these conversations about what it's like to be an owner of these cars in, in, in real world settings and not necessarily feel guilty or feel bad about I'm not taking it to the track or I'm not using it like that, but just saying, hey, this car is a performer on the back road. This car does exactly what you want it to do in this scenario, and it also can pick up the groceries. And that sounds funny, but that's just a reality. That's just what cars are for. They're used for all matter of things. But sometimes performance cars get caught into a silo or they get pigeonholed where it's like, hey, what are your numbers? If your numbers aren't high, I don't even really know why we're here. If you're not beating this at this track time, I don't really care what it is. That's why a lot of people relate more to like YouTube videos when it comes to cars, because honestly, they're like, hey, that's a regular dude. He ain't going to be able to drive it as much. But realistically, that's all I'm going to do, too. I'm going to have my quick moments. I'm going to have fun with the car on whatever road, whatever on ramp, whatever I can do within my city legally. In the rest of the time, I'm going to drive to work, drive to school, drive to run errands, drive to hang out with other car enthusiasts. I'm going to, you know, go to the post office. I'm going to do some regular everyday things. And the reason why I'm doing them in this car is because it actually makes them more enjoyable. Most people are going to say, why don't you just get a regular little car and commute to work? It is enjoyable for me to drive the GR Corolla to work and commute into it, even if there's traffic. I would much rather be in a car that I have fun in than, say, a Honda Fit like I had or a Prius and just being in and just like, hey, I'm just cruising to work, nothing big, nothing nothing to deal with. It's, it's like you're only here for a certain amount of time. I'm not going to spend my time waiting for a car on a Sunday or a Saturday where it's the weather is perfect to then drive it as opposed to saying, hey, I'm in it every single day. I'm enjoying all my time as much as I can. And one of the things that happens when it comes to like these track times and stuff is you go on the forums, people will say, oh man, I'm glad to see folks using the car how it was designed. And I'm like, I mean, I am. It was designed with a trunk and it got four doors and I threw some people in there. We ran and grabbed some food. We went over here. And that's just another thing that people want to, they want to see and do. They want to say, you have to drive this car at this level. Like, you need to make sure you're doing what the magazine talked about, the track time. If you're not, you're a poser. Or you're not doing it to the fullest. You shouldn't have bought the car. You actually only really, you get this more in, I would, I say commodity cars. I'm not talking like uh, Honda Accord and Toyota Camry or, you know, Hyundai Elantra. When I say commodity, I'm really speaking to 
the sports cars that we see every day, the Nissan Zs, the Civic Type Rs, the GTIs, the WRX, the GR Corolla, the cars that we see that are under like the $40,000 range that are what most of us are buying. And while they do have some track pedigree, they're designed to be on the track in a, in a certain regard, just like the GR Corolla. And, but really... Most of the people like myself, we're going to street drive them. And I don't really feel bad about it. I don't ever feel like I have to act like I'm a person that's going to run to the track. I'm not. I'm just really not going to do that. Even when I had a 240SX back in the day and had it worked on, people would say, oh, you're going drifting? I'd be like, you know, I cannot afford tires like that, nor can I afford to fly into a wall. Nah. I'm going to watch the professionals from the stands. And that's the same thing when it comes to how I view certain cars it's i will take mine to a little education high performance driving day have fun with it just to be able to go at full speed but i'm not dedicating my time to tracks like i don't i don't care for it for me in that car i enjoy seeing cars on the street i like the street car scene i like the modifying scene the car show scene that's just what i like and i like the track times in their own silo i want to go to the super lap battle i want to see crazy track builds driving as fast as they can i want to see formula one nascar rally cross i want to see these purpose-built machines running at their best that's what i want to see now another thing that comes up where this came from is many years ago on an episode of Top Gear, I remember James May was talking about car manufacturers always trying to develop a car on the Nürburgring. And he was saying they need to stop doing this because these cars drive like bricks. And And this is kind of where I'm coming from with the lap time thing. It's like, if your whole point is to get the fastest lap around a certain track, you're gonna end up building a car that's probably uncomfortable on everyday driving. And that's what one of the episodes he was talking about. He was driving a certain car. I don't know if it's like a Jaguar or something like that. But whatever it was, when they went to the street to drive it, it was just terrible because it was made to be on a racetrack. And on the racetrack, it was a shining star. It was lovely. It drove fast. It handled well. But as soon as you went to the pedestrian roads and started trying to drive around, it immediately became garbage. And that's because its focus was too, it had a sole focus. There aren't many cars that can be livable and be monsters on the track unless you're talking about the true pioneers like the Porsche GT3 RSs, things like that. But that's just such a high, that's such a high number, right? It's such a high cost. But everybody else, I'm like, you nobody should feel bad about not taking their car to a track or trying to exploit its potential at its fullest level. Yo, go to work chill out, enjoy the car as it is. And funny enough, the way I look at it, even those people, we don't even do, it's almost like the regular people are held up to a higher standard of how that car should drive in some cases against the super and hyper car guys. Now, what I mean by that is this. Everybody's been to a coffee and cars They've been to an auto show. What do we see? You got the Monster 720S's 765LT, Ferrari SF90, Audi R8, NSX Type 
S, Lamborghini, SVJ. You got the monster supercars. These guys are not on tracks, okay? These things are chilling with PPF and ceramic coating, and they come out on the sunniest of days. That's what's actually funny. That's like kind of the hypocrisy of it. When I read stories about this, I'm like, why are people online arguing about overheating diffs on a GR Corolla and it's underperforming? I'm like, folks are in GT3 RSs at Starbucks. That is a dedicated, engineered, over-engineered track weapon and the most I've ever seen those things doing is pulling into a parking spot in reverse. <laughs> like, and then leaving the show, might do a quick little pull on the way out, might see him on the freeway getting a little bit busy. Nobody's getting too busy because obviously you have another thing, the cost of it. You got cornices, it costs one to two million dollars. Then not I mean the cornerstone people are going to cruise. They're going to see them on the highway flying. None of them are about to take it to the track and risk that thing flying into a wall of tires or the gravel pit. They ain't doing that. The people that do, I mean, they have substantial money. Or the insurance is so sky high that anybody that were to do it, ain't nobody trying to pay that deductible. Or they're not trying to get in trouble with it. So... You got hypercars, supercars, those people, those have track times, but it's almost like the people that get into those cars, they never really talk about it. I don't really see people having a discussion about, I saw the GT3 lost one second to uh, the new Ferrari for, you know, Speciale. They're going to say, I mean, that's cool. I'm still getting one. And that's what I think everybody should do. I don't think that lap time should hold as much weight as we give them. I don't think people really care, honestly, past their initial excitement or for an ego or a pride thing to say, hey, I got the car that does a lap time better than your car. And we're talking about sub 40. In my case, we're talking about sub $45,000 cars. So all of them are close. What Me having the GR Corolla that's one second under a Civic Type R on the VIR track, is it means it's nothing. It's a wash. I mean, what does that actually mean? How does that quantify into real-world examples of one car being better than the other or just being a subjective, you're going to buy what you want to buy and you're going to get what you want to get? That's how I look at it. Others might look at it differently. But I just think that it's time for them, I want them to start, trying to do some real-world, road-trippy, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really have an answer, but the Lightning Lab, while it's cool to read the articles, I've just, over the years, read so many of them that, like, I was reading it this year, and I was just like, I'm just uninterested. Like, okay, the the GT4RS felt this great around the corner. It felt good on the straightaway. And I'm like, I mean, at this stage in the game, I only expect that. All these cars are excellent in their own right. I'm not surprised to hear that the Z06 had an amazing engine and it was holding its own in the categories and had a very high speed down the back straight. I mean, it's 600 plus flat plane V8 all like the engineering and everything for the. This is what I expect. So it's never... There's no surprises, so to speak. It's like all the cars kind of perform exactly where you want them. It's not like there's something where they say, hey, there's this bargain bins um, sports car for under 20000 that just blew the doors off of everything on this on this 
magazine at this test. It's all, it's literally like kind of like just reading an informative list of zero to 60, zero to 100, and just saying, okay, cool, it can do zero to 60 in four seconds, four and a half, five seconds, three seconds, two seconds. And then you're going to say to yourself, I mean, when am I going to bust down to zero to 60? Like, honestly, really what you're going to do is from 40 to 90 or 50 to 75 or 60 to 82. Like, that's the real test. You merging in and out of traffic. That's really what we do. That could be a good test. I think they could do. I know they have the five to 60 test, which is supposed to be emulating the street. But regardless, I think there should be there should be more of an angle where it talks to people about how you're ultimately going to live with this car. And I know they do that with road tests. I would just like to see them bring all these cars together and do like a road trip and have a real life scenario of saying, you know, what's it like to live with these cars? And they have done this before. That's why it comes to my head. I know in some capacity it's been done. I want them to bring it back. And I don't necessarily mean that it has to be something where, you have to put a, a ranking on it. Like, oh, is this number one? Is this number two? I think every single car should just have an article about how it was during this trip. How did it do on the back roads in the mountain? How did it do amongst a pack of cars? What did it feel like? Did it feel like it was sluggish? Was it non-performing? Did it have quirks and features, shout out to Doug, that didn't feel good? You know, or were nice or were exceptional? That, that to me is more important than hearing about a 138 at .53 on a random track. I'm going to say, all right, cool. I mean, it used to kind of be cool when this stuff was kind of unknown because the only option we had was a car magazine to tell us about it. But now that the Internet's here, I can go online and watch somebody have a GoPro video of them ripping down the Nürburgring at full speed. And that's more interesting than an article because you're seeing the car at speed, at the limit, running. I don't want to necessarily read about it. It's cool to see, but seeing the number at the end, there are a few people that will look at that and say, oh, these cars in this category, this one's fast, I got to go buy that one. Those are those people but it seems like a very odd choice to do. It seems like an odd thing to rest on. And I think at the pace we're going, it's time to start introducing some other testing to quantify where some of these cars fall. I would rather them have a test that are like, yo, we're going to test the speed, but we're going to test the speed in a way of like, on the highway, how does it feel every day if you wanted to leave from a red light a little bit more spirited, a little bit more spicy? How does it feel trying to merge past a semi-truck on the freeway in top gear? What does it feel like on the back road if I decide to really get into the rev range and the handling? How does it feel if I have to go pick up some random thing at the store? What does it feel like going inside a parking lot? I know this sounds dumb. People are like, why do I want to hear about them parking lots? I'm talking about just everyday things as opposed to just being on one of the racetracks. And somebody's going to say, I would rather see the track time. And I think they it does have a... I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. It has a place. I think that there should be something on the side that kind of... I don't know. Marries the two. You got the track. You got the street. You know, just bringing... Bringing it more to about every everyday people driving sports cars and having fun with them. That's kind of what I think that it should start going to 
and start leaning more towards because these arguments people having in the forums talking about this car is faster than this on this track and this one, I'm just like, man, y'all are crazy. 99% of these cars are sitting in parking lots while we talk about the random parts you want to add to a car to add more power to it. We really don't even need no more power, but we just want to do it. That's what we're going to do, okay? So, shorter episode. I'm a little tired, actually. It's a late, it's a late night recording for me. I just wanted to get that off my mind. I was really, th- I was just thinking about. It. I was just like, man, interesting that we still worrying about track times when it's been proven that the difference between you and a low track time is driver skill and car. I mean, you can make we can make anything and everything as fast as you possibly want it. I watched videos of a guy in a Tesla Plaid with no interior just destroying everybody on a drag strip, like everything, and so. At least we know that you can do anything you want. So, it's good talking with y'all. Just remember, your track time doesn't matter. <laughs> Unless you're racing and you're winning money and there's trophies and there's some competitive nature, then it matters. But if you're on the forum and you're in the street and you're telling me about how the Civic Type R has a faster lap time than my GR Corolla or that the diffs are overheating and we don't know what we're going to do and it needs more fluid and it, oh, it should have had. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not even going to, I'm not even racing. I ain't racing nobody. I'm racing to Costco. <laughs> That's, I'm racing to Costco. That's what we're doing. Everybody's just been racing to Costco. Anyways, good talking. As always, Do as you wish. Do as you may. It's your host, Cameron. I'll see y'all later.